and welcome to Stationary Jason, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Dwyford, and pleased to introduce my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu. How are you today? Hey, Justin. I'm very well, although, prepare yourself, sit yourself down. Uh-oh. It's, it's raining. Oh, my gosh. Not a lot, but a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, it... I would say it looks like it's raining here, but uh, I put my sprinklers on on the weekend for my house uh, to keep the lawn somewhat nice. Weirdest thing, I've never had to deal with these things before. I had to I had to dig up things and replace plumbing in the ground. I felt very manly. It was uh, quite nice. But yes, it was. Uh, it, it's now sprinkling at this time of day because I have no idea how to change the programming on the silly thing. I got to look up a manual for it this weekend. Oh, cool. Because the times are all off. Welcome to shutting down for the winter, having some power outages and uh, all my times getting reset. So anyway, it looks like it's raining, but it's not really from here. Very nice. Very nice. Spring has sprung in Canada. Presumably I saw some, some Instagram shots. Uh, You've, you've got one of the little um, mopeds out, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I got the one of the bikes out on the weekend and realized it is a bike not suited to living where I live. Oh. Uh, the roads into the back of the valley here are, well, they're not particularly good, let's put it that way. Uh, and You have to keep your wits about you. Well, yeah, I was riding uh, one of my Harleys and it's it's really set up for, well, going fast in a straight line on smooth cement. And, uh, oh boy, I was feeling old when I came back after driving up and down and getting batted around and almost thrown off with some of the, the bumps and mm. bruises that, uh, come from out here. Once I got over to the highway, it's nice, but, uh, yeah, driving around town, a little sketchy. Oh, well, well, I dare say you'll get used to it. You'll, you'll, you'll buy some new modern newfangled scrambling thing. That'll do it. You know, it's funny. Uh, wife and I had the conversation the other day. You know what I really need is a dual sport because, you know, hey, everybody needs another motorcycle, right? Of course. I've got no idea what you're talking about. I hope you're aware of that. But yes, mm. absolutely. I fully endorse that. Uh, on-road, off-road kind of thing. Ah, right. Splendid. It was lovely. I got some some motorcycle therapy. I got some wind in my hair. Oh, never mind. Um, I don't have any. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was just lovely to get out. It was a nice day. Uh, yeah, I kind of needed it. It's been a long winter without a bike. Good. Any follow-up for you, Stu? Any follow-up for me? Um, I'm not really back. Um, hello, not back. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I'm sort of here and there's things that I know I need to sort of do and swings that I need to get into. And I, I just haven't, to be honest. I'm sort of, uh, we got back and then there was a week full of holidays and my birthday and it, uh, ostensibly now the summer is here, despite today's rather surprising rain. And it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, can I, oh. So yeah, I, I'm putting that down as another hidden cost of travel. Your routines just get blown to bits. Uh, and you don't necessarily go straight back into them. So mm. hmm. what about you? Have you been, have you been getting, uh, your hourly phone calls from vendors? You know, I, I, after our conversation last week, I started avoiding that phone call and responding with emails. Um, and guess what I'm getting my vendor got the hint and is now 
working the way I want. So I don't actually have to talk to him. He can send me the information I need via, what do they call that? Uh, non-consecutive communication, whatever it is. We, we don't actually have to talk. It's just <laughs> facts passing back and forth. You know, this is as much as everybody rags on email for being such a terrible thing, if it's used properly, it is so effective yep. because I don't have to have a 10 minute conversation to get a specific answer to a very specific question that is non time, uh, specific, you know, it doesn't yep. matter if I get it right now, an hour from now, tomorrow, even, um, as long as I've got this sometime within this week, then it works. Yep. And it's like, wow, you know, that is the ideal use case for email. It's there when I want it. It's the answer is there when I go to check it. I'm not sitting waiting for an answer. Of course. I mean, it's, as you say, asynchronous comms are fabulous because they place the minimum amount of obligation upon the other party. And they allow you to discharge your obligation at whatever time best suits you. It's by far and away the best way to communicate in the business world, unless one party or both parties believe that these asynchronous communication methods are in fact synchronous. The minute that you start thinking, uh, as per my famous example of the guy that sent me a message on Teams and 10 minutes later sent me another one with Stuart in capital letters. The minute you think these things are on demand and you should always be attached to them, that's where burnout comes from. That's where from Zoom fatigue, all of that nonsense, because that's not what they're designed for. Synchronous communication, we solved that a long time ago, and it's called the telephone. Mm -hmm. Or obviously voice over IP, whatever. But it's, it's something where there is a different style of alert and I think it's a subject that I know you want to get onto at some point, or the possibility of leaving a message. Uh, the problems come when you try and use asynchronous for synchronous. Mm -hmm. Here endeth le the lesson. I think also one of the problems comes in that both parties need to be very clear on what the ask and the answer is. Mm -hmm. The more you leave things for interpretation, and we've all had that. Uh, you know, particularly if you work in a, a jobby job, an organization, somebody sends you an email uh, to get it off their back with no context of, is this information? What am I supposed to do with it? All of a sudden now you're, you're spend, spinning your wheels on, on these bad emails. If you can use email effectively, which to me is you have a very specific ask that is non-synchronous, it's asynchronous that you are, can go into enough detail, take the time, you know, that's again, part of the thing. It's, it may take you an extra minute to write that email, but I could tell you, it'll save you four minutes from that phone call, trying to get somebody with, to get that information to you on the other side, because you don't have to have any of those pleasantries. <laughs> um, but if, if you, and I don't mean that as a, well, I probably do mean that as a bit of an a-hole, but you know, the, the reality is that sometimes getting, you know, getting a quality email out uh, or receiving a quality email so you know exactly what you're supposed to do can solve so many of these problems bad emails just contribute to this back and forth and again as you said that is a conversation that should likely be synchronous oh i tell you what you've started it now to this is your fault uh oh but 
Here we go. So, the current Mrs. L Uh decided that what she desperately needed in life was a specific handbag by a specific handbag designer. Now, every, every, everybody in the world is getting, oh, this doesn't sound cheap. And you're right, it isn't. However, the point has come up in conversation of late that since her back injury, Mrs. L doesn't play golf and therefore doesn't pay an annual golf membership. And she feels that in some way this should be compensated for in, in a, well, it would appear a designer handbag budget. So, defeated by her logic, we went ahead and ordered this handbag, which it's a mystery to me. It will always be a mystery to me that how so much value can be assigned to a little bit of leather. I have no idea. Anyway, we ordered it and it was to be delivered in two days. Now, bearing in mind that it's coming from Milan and I'm on a little island in the Eastern Med, Pretty certain that it wasn't going to get here in two days, particularly when you look at the holidays that were coming up, Orthodox Easter and stuff. Anyway, fine. It's okay. No problem. So, we got sent the tracking information. Your bag has been dispatched. How exciting. And the tracking was uh, from a well-known courier firm that shall remain nameless. It's called DHL. And... I clicked on the, the tracking and you can see, you know, the usual sort of progress. It's gone from Milan Malpensa. It's gone to Munich because everybody has to go to Munich. I mean, why not? Munich's a beautiful place. So I'm tracking the journey and then boom, it says delivered Larnaca agent. Now Larnaca is the, the international airport here and the agent presumably is a customs agent. I don't know. But that's it. It's gone quiet. So I go to the vendor and say, hi, just send an email. Hi there. Uh, Look, following the tracking on this item, uh, it's stopped at Larnaca. Um, I imagine what's happened. This is what I actually wrote. I imagine that what's happened is that it's been outsourced to a local provider um, and that the tracking may have stopped. But given the value and the importance of the goods, could you follow it up for me? And then I got one of those formula emails back. Uh, essentially saying, you know, thanks for getting in touch with customer service. Uh, we're responsible for everything in the company except service all customers. And but basically blanked it. And so I then went back and said, no, no, you're not, you're not really getting me here. And then they came back and said, well, uh, we're looking on the tracking and it's been delivered. I said, okay, I think you're looking at the same tracking as I am. And this is all by email still. And a couple of a couple of hints for you. One, I'm not in Larnaca. Two, you didn't send it to Larnaca. Therefore, it's unlikely to have been delivered, isn't it? Because that's what the tracking says. And they come back. Okay, yep. Are you sure your wife hasn't signed for it? Yes, I'm sure my wife hasn't signed for it. And uh, could it be a neighbour? No, nobody has signed for it because it hasn't left the city where the airport is, which is some miles distant from here. Okay, well, if it doesn't show up, as it hasn't shown up, we will have to commence an investigation. We should get back to you within three to four weeks. (laughs) 
<laughs> At which point I went back and said, look, with respect, I've highlighted to you an issue with my purchase in excess of $1,000 with you has not been delivered. Three to four weeks is not acceptable. Within 24 hours, I want some substantive information on what has happened to these goods, and I want to be in touch with the manager. Thanks very much. Then, me being me, I then go onto the phone to DHL and say, hi. Ah, smart move. This is the tracking number. Uh, it's got as far as Larnica. Oh, no, it's been signed for. Okay. Who signed for it? Um, I'm not sure. Right. We haven't received it. Are you sure your wife hasn't received it? Yeah, I'm sure my wife hasn't received it. When, when a woman orders a designer handbag, believe me, they know when it's arrived or not. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I said, look, I suspect you've probably handed it on to a local courier to do the last mile because, well, for a courier company, you're not very good at couriering, uh, which went over her head. But anyway, um, she went, I'll come back to you. And true enough, five minutes later, she came back and said, yep, yeah, it's gone to ACS, which is a local courier. I said, great. Where is it? It's, it's in Larnaca. Okay. It was in Larnaca on the 28th. It's now the 4th. What's been happening? Um, uh, I say, okay, right. You don't know. So at this point, I'll give you a hint. Just say, I don't know. And tell me how you're going to fix it. We can get it delivered tomorrow. Okay, I'm not here tomorrow. Oh, um, I said, can you get it to so-and-so depot, you know, a local place? Yes. Great. <laughs> get it to there. What time will it be there? Four o'clock. Fantastic. My wife will go and collect it. And she has. And all is well and the bag is fine. Mm -hmm. I'm still waiting <laughs> for the original vendor to come back to me. And I fully intend to keep their investigation going for six, seven, eight weeks without ever saying that I haven't received the bag. So in, in such a way that will not prejudice me, but these people are going to pay for their indolence and their complete indifference to the customer. I can't believe that, you know, high value purchase like this. You see the way they wrap this stuff, Justin. It's all, you know, it's, it's Apple-esque. And yet you get in touch with customer support and they're like, oh, well, yeah, three to four weeks, you know, we'll get back to you. The, the one thing that's missing from customer service usually it's a customer. <laughs> exactly. It's just, I think it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in. Um, unfortunately, customer service uh, is terrible. I, I had a, a problem. I was playing with something on Apple's website the other day and I was, uh, they, they gave me this option. Oh, you could pay in four easy payments or whatever it was. So well, I could do that. Came back with an error. Your car, your, your order has not been canceled. So it's like, okay, well, I could pay for the whole thing now, but I don't want to. I was looking at an iPad mini. Mm -hmm. um, and I just said, you know what? Okay, I'll send them an email. This is, uh, I can't remember the company, whoever Apple uses for this and say, what the hell? You know, because certainly it is not a question of credit or credit worthiness or you know, any of these things, right? So mm -hmm. um, I got the reply. Uh, that would have been, what would that have been? Friday night when I was born. Yeah, never... Never have uh, a glass of wine and sit at your computer when you're bored, Stuart. You know, stuff just floats into your Apple cart like you wouldn't believe. Oh, yes, I've been there. Uh, so I sent them this. I sent them a request, um, and I got the. We've got long, one long wait times. We will get back to you as soon as we can. And you know that's been almost a week and still nothing. I, I, not that I expect to get any sort of answer whatsoever. But it's the principle of the thing. Indeed, like, come on, at least 
at least send me a reply saying, hey, go, but you, for some reason this doesn't work. Uh, so I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I could have almost been sitting on the iPad by now, but. We're, we're both just tor tormenting customer service teams around the world. Well, <laughs> at, at this point, it's like, you know, I, I, I was a little indignant for the fact that, <laughs> that they wouldn't do this. Like, like, you've got my credit card on file, you know. Yes. Uh, anyway, I was grumpy about it. So now I am uh, doing a stew as well. So apparently, once you turn 50 and you are a little privileged, um, annoying the heck out of customer service or, well, support. We'll just call it support because customer <laughs> service does not exist. It's a oxymoron. Did you hear um, uh, Jason Snell on Upgrade uh, discussing the, uh, because Apple have issued an earnings warning, haven't they? And um, he was discussing the, the analysts on the call because uh, it was their earnings call. And the basically Tim Cook said, because of, uh, you know, all of the trouble in the supply chain, uh, we're, we're, we're predicting that we're not going to sell between four and eight billion dollars worth uh, of, of tech in the next quarter. Now, four to eight billion dollars of sales is a lot to the extent that Jason Snell's impersonation of the analyst was, um, da, da, Tim, Tim, can we go back to the four to eight billion, please? <laughs> Because these guys have all factored in, you know, a record quarter, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, they're being, Apple are being very sanguine about it. They are going to take, uh, let's, for the sake of argument, call it $5 billion worth of hit because of supply chain problems. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Oh, who, who was the guy that brought that to Tim's desk? I bet he had a great day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's Apple. They'll still overperform, but. You know, I, I think the the commentary on it is, you know what? I think they need to focus on their iPhone design because that's always their biggest quarter. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the reason that I haven't bought several things from Apple is because, well, supply chain. Yep. They just can't, they don't have it in and I'm not willing to place an order for two to three months out, you know? So I'm, I'm part of, well, I, I'm definitely not part of the 8 billion, but I might be part of the 4 billion. <laughs> sure well i'm i'm you know looking now i'm sort of i'm waiting to see what the first sort of m2s are going to be like because you know my my machines are at the bottom end of the of the spec <laughs> because i finally learned that i don't need the top end of the spec it's only taken about 10 years i'm sort of looking at you know replacing maybe the laptop which i've got the macbook air the m1 and maybe even the the mac mini if, if that gets a you know a big uh, spec bump but yeah, I'm 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 fearing that this may, might actually be you know twelve to eighteen months because of of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. oh, what are we going to do, Justin? We'll just have to use the wonderful computers we've already got. Oh, the deprivation, honestly. Now, there's the next thing in the show notes is a complete mystery to me. What, what is this? Oh, the pen addict shout out. I was going to say congratulations. Uh, have you listened to this week's pen addict? Yes, which is why I'm even more confused. Oh, you got a personal name uh, drop. Uh, Brad was talking about his uh, folietto order that he placed from you and how lovely it was. Oh, was, I must have missed that bit. I must have been out with the dogs or something. Oh, I'll have to, I'll have to look that up again. No, he um, personally shouted out your name, which I thought was, like, you know, that that's, there's some things in life that, you know, you, you get a claim to fame of. One of those is a retweet from Syracuse. The other one, of course, is a 
shout out on the Pan Addict for nerds like us. So yes, he was talking about uh, his order from Nero's. He was very, very appreciative of everything you guys did over there and absolutely loves the product. So there you go. Oh, that's good. It's good. I mean, he, he's, he's very shy with me now because whenever we speak, I'm always giving him a hard time for discontinuing knock. <laughs> <laughs> he, he discontinued international knock before, before he did US knock. So, um, and I would be whining and whinging because customers loved it. You know, they they really like buying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good fellow. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, my short claim to fame was James Thompson uh, replied to a tweet that I had tagged him on. So I felt, uh, you know, it's not quite a pen addict shout out, but hey, I got some hey. notice on Twitter. You're a bit of a tech bro now. That's what we're saying. Uh, no, no. But uh, the technorati kind of uh, acknowledged that I exist and, you know, hey, small, small things, please, small minds. <laughs> Maybe we should get together and make a bid for Twitter. Oh God, uh, I think I no no. Let's not go there. Uh, what what is your tool of the week, Stu? I'm feeling like a tool at the moment, so let's uh, let's talk real tools. Uh, well, my tool of the week uh, is Treehouse, uh, which is in fact a, a house in a tree. But no, Treehouse is my mastermind at the Focus Academy, uh, Sean Blogs thing that I uh, I belong to, and we have uh, a fortnightly call. Um, our little sort of small gang. Uh, and we were well, doing what you do in a mastermind. So we were, you know, trying to help each other out with different projects. And and I was talking to to Holly, um, who's, uh, Holly is married to Matt, who has a hardwood flooring business in Texas. Uh, f- from my point of view, fascinating, because so different from what I do. Um, and we were talking about numbers and performance. And this would have been, you know, this is, I could have wheeled out a Twyford at this point. It would have been perfect because it was, Holly, have you got a budget? No. <laughs> you don't have a budget? Step into my office. And I was, you know, casting pearls of wisdom around like confetti, as, as is my want. And then I got off the call and I went, do you know what? I don't think I've looked at my budgets for my business this year at all. Because it's become such an automatic sort of, procedure for me that they've they've perhaps you know lost their impact so um that was my tool of the week was was treehouse and get back into my budgets and assert some more control over my business Mm. there you go what about you what was your tool of the week mine was actually a book that i picked up off for a recommendation it may have been twitter you know one of these sometimes you come across books that you here's my top five books that changed my life kind of thing Mm mm-hmm this was one that I hadn't read, but I had read and appreciated sort of the other three or four off that list. And this one is uh, from 1902. It's called As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. Mm. Have you ever read that one, Stu? No, it doesn't ring any bells at all. Mm. Perhaps it's David Allen's great-grandfather. Oh, very, no, this is a little deeper than uh, David Allen book. Oh. It is really about how your approach to thinking affects every part of a person's life. And it's stuff that we already know. Sure. You know, it's, it, there's nothing new in this. It's been probably, it was the granddaddy of many of the books that we've read, mm-hmm. but it's a tiny book. And, you know, perhaps because as given with the title, as a man thinketh, uh, the language does require one to thinketh a little more about the contenteth. So 
it's it's a tiny little book it's just really hit me in a way of sort of making me think i think it's going to tie in a little bit to our topic this week and, and maybe some of the the topics we've got coming up because i'm doing a lot of sort of personal reflection and thinking at the moment but yeah i really do recommend this one for anybody that wants to take sort of bite-sized pieces and really chew on them and digest them i have a feeling this is a book that you could have on a shelf and you could read you know once every five years and sometimes you'd look at it and you'd kind of go well that's obvious isn't it and then other times you'd look at it and you'd go gee there's a light bulb uh probably a bit like that uh, what was it the oliver berkman book that uh, you and tj loved oh, yeah. and that i couldn't even finish because it was you know to me stating the obvious I think it's a, it's a book like that, but uh, if you haven't read it, uh, I think it's relatively inexpensive on the Kindle. Might be worth a uh, a look in for you if you're so desiring, you know, sure, avoiding no, work and list. doing a little bit more navel gazing, navel gazing, and all that. Easy for you to say. As a man thinketh. Yes, I should look that up. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting what you say actually, because one of my um, sort of things that I have fallen upon. Um, from my break and, you know, thinking about what I do and how I do it and all that stuff is, um, I'm going to turn everything upside down. So, um, we've, we've talked before about how reading is important and how it's one of the things that tends to suffer, uh, as the pressure comes on in one of the jobby jobs or hobby jobs or all the jobs or <laughs> life or whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm going to completely reschedule my week. And I'm going to start with these things that I keep saying that I think are important, but I don't treat as important. So reading, for example, I am going to schedule mm. some time in every day to read. Mm. And I'm also going to try and get to the habit of using any extra time that I might come across to read uh, and see that as a priority rather than the first thing that gets cut as the, the pressure comes on. Mm -hmm. But uh, I dare say this will come up in a, in a topic or two. A topic or two, there should, should be a song. Um, <laughs> what about pen and ink of the week? What have you got for us? All right, so I'm back to my uh, Leonardo Memento Zero. Okay. The mango-colored one that I had all the problems with the nib and had to replace with the Anderson nib. I was looking for an orange ink the other day. Uh, some of the work that I do, I'm old school. I print stuff out and then I mark it up and I use different color inks mm -hmm. for different things because some of that just allows me to think and make sure that accuracy is there. Some of the processes that I do. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of blue inks and I have a lot of bright blue inks and I have a lot of blue-black inks. Uh, but I like to have something in a attention-grabbing color that I can't miss. I've got uh, red, I've got, I always like to have an orange and I didn't have one. So I went and I put uh, Noodler's Apache Sunset in there. Mm. Uh, are you familiar with Noodler's at all? Uh, the concept, yes. The reality, no. Mm. I'm not sure how a ink that is as full as, uh, what's his name? Nathan Tardif, I think it is. Uh, he fills these bottles to the brim. Um, and they are, you know, they're, they're probably a bomb to UPS or something like that, because I can only imagine the difficulties in logistics with that. Like it's, it's one of those you don't, if the weather's going to get cold, you know, that it's going to expand, it's going to crack the bottle. Um, so you just gotta be so careful with this stuff, but it's actually a lovely shading sort of ready orange. Um, and I've really been enjoying it. 
as a something different. You know, it's not quite as bright as my Mont Blanc Lucky Orange. It's just a really lovely color. And noodlers, well, they range from the infamous Bay State Blue to uh, beautiful inks like the Apache Sunset. So uh, if you haven't tried them and if you can get them, I'm thinking Cypress may be a hard sell getting some noodlers. And definitely not something you want to put in a plain pocket, uh, at least not without uh, 15 layers of bags to protect it when it explodes. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a cool link. I'm just, as we check, I'm going to see if the mighty curl pens do, do any noodles because they deliver. Hang. Stand by, stand by. Look at uh -oh. live on the podcast, but looking it up. Oh, oh look, at that. there's a big banner coming up saying, we ship to Cyprus. I know, that's why I'm here. Now let me do my search. Oh, I hate those banners. Nope. Would you like to ship it? Get $18. Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, just ship it anything you like. Just let me find it. Mm. It's not looking great. I've got to be honest. Things are not looking good on the noodlers front. Yeah, it, it is a North American ink, so I'm not terribly yeah. surprised. The oh, distrib oh. distribution isn't uh, particularly wide, but oh, there you go. Oh, hang on. I, I have to close this page. Right, no, stop it. Good. What, what did you What did you almost buy there, Stu? Well, I just I opened up the uh, the bottled ink page and the, all these gorgeous bottles appeared in front of me, lovely colours. And because I I was standing here thinking, yeah, I could really do with with a good vibrant red and oh something orange that shades a bit. Mm, yeah, that's a, yeah. anyway. That enough of that. I'll do that tomorrow instead of working. Mm. Follow up next week. How much did we cost Stu on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> exactly well unusually for me um i'm i'm not using a fountain pen well i am but i'm not using a fountain pen right now uh because i a kickstarter find arrived now when i say a kickstarter find it's not a find are you aware of studio neat yeah they're a friend of mike hurley so they're quite yes. often pimped on the pen addict and they do a podcast together as well on Relay called mm -hmm. Thoroughly Considered, which is all about uh, design issues. They made a pen called the Mark I. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, initially they made sort of ice cube makers and things. You know, they're, they're sort of designers. And eventually Mr. Hurley taught them into making a pen. Uh, and the Mark I is nice. It's, um, I suppose, it's in the same sort of class as the Baron Fig Squire. That's, that's kind of where it sits. Um, and it's nice. I've got a couple that they've got, I can't remember the correct word, but it's, it's almost like a ceramic finish. I've got a white one. I've got uh, a limited edition that uh, celebrates Apollo, uh, which was nice. And this is the Mark two. Now, hmm. the thing I would say about the Mark two is this is the first pen that has made me go, Oh, for a long time. Now, a, it's playing to, to sort of one of my fetishes about pens. It's a pocket pen. Um, to the extent that if I lie it down next to my my uh, Apple mouse, it's not as tall as my Apple mouse. Ah, so it's, uh, it matches your iPhone. Yes. Now, or look at this even more live, exciting stuff. I've got what can only be described as a ruler. So uh, for those listening uh, in the United States of... Just over three and a half inches. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the rest of us, nine and a half ten, centimeters. I was going to say 10 centimeters, but yes. Very dinky. Um, and it's, uh, I, I, well, there's a link in the show notes so you can go and see a picture rather than me trying to describe it. But 
it comes out like a, like you're taking a sword from a sheath. And then you turn it round and post it. Uh, but it's all done by a sort of slight gradient within the barrel. Mm. Uh, so then when you've got the pen posted, it is a full 13 centimetres. So very comfortable to write with. It's got a really nice refill. I think it's a Schmidt. Um, it's very robust. It's got a built-in clip, so it doesn't roll everywhere. This is my um, back pocket hiking pen now, mm. undoubtedly. Um, really, really quite enjoying it. The only thing I'm scared about is whether it will, you know, one day become loose and start dropping out. That was going to be one of my questions. And the other one is, what color did you get? Uh, I, I, black. It's, the black on black. Uh, yeah, black on a sort of graphite, I suppose. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's a nice pen. Uh, and I think it's now available for sale probably at Studio Neat's website, I guess. Uh, no, it's still on a pre-order. Oh, okay, they're still doing the fulfillment and probably the Kickstarter. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, nice pen. Nice pen. If, like me, you like the whole sort of small hiking pen that's always with you that isn't going to, you know, leave ink all over you and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, I quite like those little ones. Anyway, enough of that. Very nice. Very nice. This is why I don't do Kickstarter though. I'm just looking at the Kickstart uh, information for this. They did well. They raised $160,000 of sales on this, hmm. but it funded on July 23rd, 2020. Yep. That, that is a long time to make a pen for an established company. Yeah, things didn't go as exactly as they would hope. I mean, obviously, there was the little bug going about, which slowed things down. But also, they are quite picky, these guys. Um, Tom and Dan, I think the names are. Uh, and they, they, I wouldn't like to manufacture for them. Because whenever you listen to their podcast, it's about what they've sent back and you know what they're asking to be remade. And um, they... You know, they're very pernickety, which is, is great, but it does mean you need a degree of patience if you're going to order from them. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Cool. It looks neat, though. I'm just looking on their website. I like it. Mm, it's a nice little uh, thing. Stu, uh, good, th good thing it's in pre-order, because uh, you know me and my That's it. You won't do lack it. of wanting to wait for things. Yeah. I'm, Delayed I'm, gratification. Twyford doesn't do it. No, he doesn't. All right. Let's get into our topic this week, because uh, we've been going for a while. What are those sure. weeks? Um, I want to talk about work and identity closely related. They can be, so I want to talk about what the relationship is. Uh, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I'm still thinking about our conversation on hobby jobs and jobby jobs for a few weeks ago. I'm sort of trying to understand how I identify myself. And honestly, I'm struggling and feeling a little bit out of balance, which is probably why I keep coming back to this, you know, even though we had a, a break since we recorded that and we've had another episode, it, it's still on my mind and I'm still trying to figure out what that balance is for me. More importantly, how do I fit all of the things in my life moving forward? And, and you're a guy that's got his stuff together pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of curious nowadays. How do you introduce yourself? Because I think that's a, a way that you could see what your relationship with work and identity is. Uh, do you have an elevator pitch for yourself? Uh, I used to. Um, I don't. How do I introduce myself? 
tends to me tends for me to be in a sort of uh golfy environment so i play for uh the club and therefore play against other clubs and the inevitably sort of boring and stupid thing that that sort of white males of a certain age ask each other is so what do you do for a living or what did you do for a living um <laughs> that's the one and uh it really depends what sort of mood i'm in i mean if you want to kill conversation then come and live uh on an expatriate island with um a very nice tax regime and say you're an anti-money laundering specialist people people sort of literally they back away from you <laughs> because they they're, they're immediately concerned well did i do my tax return right last year or mm. should, should i have paid tax in this country or that country um so that's that's generally a good way of of pushing people away. Um, I tend to generally, I'll say, um, I do a little bit of consultancy in financial services, and I've also got a notebook company. And they go, a notebook, and I go, yes, it, I mean, it's it's not a completely alien concept. It's a little book that you take notes in, notebook, um, and that tends to be it. I think I I haven't of late sort of swept my hair back, which I know you can't do, but, uh, and said, I'm a writer, darling. Uh, I haven't done that for a while. Um, nor have I ever said, oh, I'm a content creator. Um, but, but, you know, I, I honestly think you really have put your finger on something fundamental, both to you and to I, uh, you and to I, you and me, uh, and also to, I suspect many people, um, I have been trying to work out my identity since 2015, I think, mm. because up until then I had one. I was, uh, I was one of the founders. I was director. I was group operations director, chief executive officer, whatever you want to call it of, of MTI money transfer. What do you do? Money transfer. Boom. That was me. Um, and when I sold that business, I don't think I've ever really settled on who I am now, which is problematic, I suspect. Yeah, I'm I'm right up there with you in the fact that my elevator pitch sort of depends on the context and who's asking, but it's a real tough one. Uh, usually, I kind of come down to the default. Uh, you know, I'm not sure there's a humble brag, but. Um, you know, the, if I want to try and impress somebody, I use the, oh, I'm a multi-potentialite. Good Lord. But honestly, I think that, I think that I sound like a right moron saying that. So I don't, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm having a problem with that. I kind of, you know, you maybe downplay it. Hey, I just work with numbers. Mm. Uh, the last thing you ever want to do much like, uh, an anti-money laundering specialist will get people to stop a conversation. Mm -hmm. If you tell people that, well, my background is a professional accountant. Oh my God. Everybody wants to tell you their tax problem and have you solve it for free. <laughs> for sure, yeah. I, I, it's like being a doctor, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, funny you should say that. Could you look at my knee? You see, see that a lot on golf courses. Mm. But I mean, it's it's an interesting point because I I, I wrote in the show note when uh, way back before most of the listeners were born, Justin, in 1993, <laughs> I I quit university. And I hadn't graduated yet. And this was a time when I was essentially working uh, in Paris or uh, in France in the Bureau de Change business uh, while studying in Lancaster in Northwest England. 
And I had this curious double life where I was sort of listening to, <laughs> listening to pop music, um, being a student, being poor, um, sort of struggling to make ends meet, and then getting on a bus in those days to Paris, changing into nice clothes, living in a fantastic apartment uh, in a beautiful part of Paris, not doing a high-powered job, but doing a reasonably well-paid job with no responsibilities. So the, the sort of contrast was, was huge. And eventually, I, I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I just, I'm, I'm done with this studying, being cold, being poor thing. Uh, I'm going to work. And so I became full-time in the foreign exchange business, which I had been before I went to university. And that really... Um, because obviously anybody with any sense went, Stuart, are you sure this is a good idea? Um, which is, you know, pointless thing to say to anybody in their 20s because you know, in the 20s you know everything. Um, and, and so I sort of pushed through all of those objections from my nearest and dearest and became, I became the, the corporate guy. I was, I was the guy that could make money. I was the best on the tills. Um, I could sell ice to an Eskimo. You know, th this was all the stuff. And my identity, I didn't know I was doing it, but my identity became incredibly intrinsically linked with that. Mm -hmm. And the rest of my life until 2014 was, was driven by work. So which country I lived in was determined by work. Um, and you know, I, don't get me wrong. I was fantastically lucky. And I went to go and live in Prague and I lived in Budapest. Uh, I came to live in Cyprus for a while. I, I, I even spent some time in London, you know, really nice places doing great jobs. Uh, I ended up building a business with a, with a friend. We, we built a good business. We made money. It was fabulous. We sold the business and it's since that day, I have not really understood who I am. Mm -hmm. And that sounds overly dramatic, but um, I think you've really put your finger on something that's very important to me and, and is I've been orbiting around this question, asking all sorts of questions about, you know, who do I want to be? How do I want to live my life? What things are important to me? My involvement with the focus course is all about this central question of who am I? Mm. Um, because even as we speak, I think, you know, the last couple of weeks, you and I have been having the same sort of thoughts about slightly different things. So I'm thinking, do, do you know what? Do I, do I want to be in the notebook business? Do I want to be a, a money laundering consultant? Do I want, sorry, anti-money laundering consultant? Um, I think you've just got a whole bunch of emails coming in. Hey, Stu, help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, uh, certainly money laundering consultants are better paid, but, um, you know, which of those things do I want to be? So when I get up in the morning, do I want to be thinking, right, I'm going to go and play golf? Uh, or do I want to be getting up thinking, right, today I've got to work and then tomorrow I can play golf? All of those things are really about deciding who I want to be. And and lots of stuff feeds into that, you know, finances, life, um, you know, the, the current Mrs. Lennon, what her plans are, you know, all of those things together. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure that the connections that, that I built were enormous. They were enormously strong and people have huge expectations of me. And I often think that I'm trying to live up to an identity that I no longer own. Mm. 
people expect me to be uh, the first to the bar. <laughs> they, they kind of expect me to be the last at the bar as well. Um, they expect me to, you're not going to have a dull evening if you're out with me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, <laughs> poor old Margaret often complains to people. She goes, he's not like this at home, you know. He's a real grumpy son at home. <laughs> but when I'm out and people are expecting me to be the joker and expecting me to, you know, to lead the laughs, then I sort of play up to that. That's that's my people pleaser mode. That's my, you know, slightly theatrical mode. That's why when when I discovered podcasting, I haven't stopped since because, oh, look, I can talk. Yay. Um, you know, that's that's all stuff that, is a is a creation and i'm you know i'm terribly I, i'm easily led by my own created identity which is just a bizarre thing to even think let alone say hmm. but yeah the, the the point i would make is i don't actually have any contact with anybody that i knew before 1993 with the wow. exception of you know my mom and a couple of relatives hmm Wow. Actually, you know what? If I think about that, I'm, uh, I might even be further along than you on that one. It's weird. Um, yeah, I think my, my oldest friend was a guy that I went to university with. Um, and when I call friends, you know, it's really, you know, we'll go out every uh, five years or so. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, we, we sort of keep in contact, send each other happy birthdays and things like that, but, uh, really not close. And that was sort of from the mid nineties, but yeah, really, I don't have a lot. Uh, I don't have any friends. In fact, from before that, you know, part of that was me moving and yada, 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 but, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, but that's okay. It's fine. I am who I am today. And, you know, I periodically reinvent myself. Um, you know, so, sort of like you, I was thinking about, you know, my own journey with corporate identity, uh, who I was was a factor of work. And the one thing I didn't have was the control of my own destiny. I, I always worked for somebody else. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, at this age, you know, looking back, that may have been somewhat of a problem, but, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is. I was somebody that was very tied into the job that I did. I, I put all of my attention, all of my passion, um, you know, I, I was kind of in some ways indistinct from, from the, the role that I was playing that sort of became my identity. And one of the challenges that I came across is organizations change. And sometimes that's not a good thing. I was in a, a long-term position for a number of years on a career path. And I, I made the mistake of turning down a promotion that involved a relocation. Mm -hmm. And what I had done there was, well, I had stepped off the career, the, the career ladder sort of midway. Um, and all of a sudden everybody else that was willing to do those things like move had the opportunities that all of a sudden, you know, I proved myself, I was not really worthy because I just couldn't pack up my life. Uh, and that was something that sort of shook the foundations of my work and identity relationship. Because, you know, what, I, what I was, well, now what, what was I, because I'm not this up and comer. I'm not on this career path. I'm just kind of floating out here. Uh, so I, I left that job and I went to work for a little family business, which, uh, 
was well, you know, one of those mistakes in life. Uh, you know, at the time I thought it was good, but uh, certainly things didn't work out so well. I misread the room in the worst possible way. Um, I completely misunderstood what the goals of the two owners were. Um, and well, I ended up, you know, what happens where things don't work. You just, you, you separate. I got fired after that one. And that really, that was what end of 2016. And that really took the sales out of my, what am I, you know, uh -huh. I, I've had some jobs since then, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that I identify the same way that I did when I was younger. You know, maybe the school of hard knocks has kicked me in the identities. Um, I'm not sure what that, what that actually is, but it is somewhat of a challenge. I notice myself when somebody asks what I do and, you know, part of that is I don't want to, you know, I, I, I'm CFO for a group of companies. It sounds really good, but it also sounds really pretentious. And I'm not sure that I identify myself as look, I'm the CFO type, you know, I mean, I'm a, a shaved headed guy with a, with a beard and tattoos. I CFO doesn't sound, you know, you have to go through the whole spiel, right? Well, cause it's not really how I present, you know, in terms of the typical boardroom, you know, let's, let's put the, the Brooke brothers, uh, suit on and button up and, uh, you know, be very professional today. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in, well, COVID sweatpants and, you know, just everything has changed my identity of, of who I am and separated that out with, with, um, my work and uh, myself. And I think part of that is the side projects that I have, you know, uh, do you tell people that you do a podcast, you know, podcast, mm. I, I hate the word content creator, but you know, as a guy that has blogs on the internet, a guy that does podcasting on the internet, that edits podcasts, it really becomes this mishmash of, well, what do you really tell people you do? And I, I have a really hard time with that. And I, and I figure if I can't look somebody in the eye and consistently say, this is who I am. I really don't know what that relationship between sort of work and identity is for me. I, I just, as we, as we were talking about, I don't know who I am really in, in that respect. Uh, so it's, it's, it's challenging. It sounds like you're in the same boat. I was hoping you were going to have an answer for me. <laughs> I think I do have an answer. Um, and I think, you know, we, we both are arriving at the answer through the same sort of process. Um, because the very fact that you ask the question and the very fact that you can't, uh, you know, neither us has a sort of, you know, instant answer to, you know, what do you do or who are you or whatever, um, is indicative that you're getting there, I think, because that's probably the first step of realizing that actually, hmm. I suppose when people ask me, I, there's a part of me now that's a little bit older and a little bit wiser and go, you don't care what I do. <laughs> you, you've, you know, you, you've stumbled upon the question that is sort of pro forma standard to try and elicit some sort of pleasant relationship between us for the duration of this encounter, but you don't care. And <laughs> I went through, I went through a stage in my thirties when I used to tell people all sorts of lies. So people would, would say to me at parties, what you do? I said, um, well, I look. I, I can't really go into any detail, but I work for the government. <laughs> um, or occasionally I would just go, oh, hitman. <laughs> and 
and uh, and people people would laugh and look at you, and I would just uh, you know deadpan it. I go seriously, mm. and they go oh, oh uh, uh. and then I would laugh and say no, actually I'm a compliance consultant. But uh, you know, I, I was going to ask you if you've told Margaret the truth about what you do yet. <laughs> it's a little less exciting than uh, Hitman, you know. I, I sell notebooks. Well, the, the great thing is that uh, Margaret is entirely disinterested in what I do. So we'll, I will go upstairs and I will hear uh, probably for about an hour and a half the ins and outs of a primary school and what's happening with this child and that child and this child. And, you know, uh, the intricacies of the relationships within the school and all of that stuff. And at no point, at no point will Margaret say, what did you do? <laughs> how was your day she just she won't because she's honest enough to know that if i start giving her the answer she'll lose the will to live so what what's really interesting to me that what you just said there is um a funny thing happened to me a few months ago where um i write on my blog i write some members posts and i write some sort of free posts and the concept behind that, of course, is that the free posts make people think, oh, do you know what? This fellow's quite interesting. I might want to, to become a member, pay him some money and read some more of his work. Oh, and he's, he's sort of publishing a novel at the same time. Oh, yeah, that might be interesting. So, you know, it's, it's a sales funnel, a pretty rudimentary one, but that's what it is. And yet, I have never, ever told my friends that I write a blog. <laughs> One or two of them know, and this guy that I play golf with, his wife stumbled upon an article I'd written because she saw something on Twitter, I think. And she went, your blog's really good. I, oh, thank you very much. Um, and I said, would you like to, would you like to read the other stuff? Cause you know, I can, I can give you a membership because you know, you're my friend and it feels a bit wrong that you pay me for it. <laughs> and, uh, it's exactly as you say. So if, you know, blogging is important to me, which it is because I think I can write and I, you know, I, I do have stuff to say as people may have gathered. Why is it I'm unable to sort of, you know, send a mail to all my friends and social media? Guys, it's my blog. Give me some support, you know, get out there, tweet it, tell people about it so, so I can get more members. I don't. I just sort of quietly write and publish. <laughs> and yet I'll sort of, you know, kill myself trying to get those unknown people on the internet to sign up so that in itself i think is very instructive mm -hmm. i i think the answer is about uh work and identity that we both know because you know i've read your show notes as well your work should not be your identity your work should be part of your identity mm -hmm. but we're from a generation that came through a time um so you know the, the phrase that's used for where i'm from is thatcher's britain mm -hmm. Where you know it was all about uh, work and achievement and greed, which then became you know the hustle and all of that stuff, and that that's what we were expected to do. You expected to work hard and party hard, um, and just keep making money, keep making money, keep making money, and that was the definition of success in the UK for I don't know two, three, four decades. I don't know. Mm, definitely the eighties when we were growing up. It yeah. was. It, it was a thing, right? You know, if it, is good. you made it when you had your BMW. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the things that were in the newspapers, the flaming Ferraris or a bunch of um, city traders who would, um, you know, drink 
flaming sambucas every time they got a big deal and they all had ferraris and you know this was this is this is what the 80s was about that and shoulder pads oh god that's a blast from the past new thanks <laughs> but that's i think that's where we came through and it was you know it was quite easy i think to, to then sort of wrap yourself in that and say okay you know whatever element that you do you that's what you're good at and you aspire to be really good at and how do you measure how good you are well whether you get you know a really good paycheck what your benefits are like all of those things and i think that that i'm delighted to say that i think that's probably less the case now i think it still exists but certainly for us we're looking now and going hang on hang about there's a bit more to me than the ability to you know crunch a spreadsheet faster than anyone else mm -hmm. yeah i i, I want to say that there are some pros to having a, a, an identity that is at least linked with it you know the pride of work the passion for work um and i'm not for any stretch saying that still myself are not looking to be passionate about what we do but I think it goes above the passion. You could do that in a role, but you don't have to have your entire identity consumed by it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of my sort of takeaway with that. There are certainly some, some pros, you know, if you're in a up and coming position, you have career goals, uh, you know, having that identity may not be such a bad thing. But I think you've got to be really, really careful because once it goes, it, it can sort of kick your legs out from under you. And then you kind of end up, uh, well, you end up on a podcast with your friend, soul searching and doing online therapy. Wow. <laughs> but I think the soul searching is good. You know, I, I look at this and, you know, touching wood very firmly. I, I have a period of life in front of me where uh, luck, privilege, hard work, all of those things together mean that I can choose to a great extent what I do and where I do it. I have work options, you know, whether that be, you know, notebooks or, or consultancy or heaven forfend content creation, um, or the ability to, you know, mix and match those up and, and, you know, combine them with golf. I mean, one of the things that, that always makes me think is that the Brad Dowdy, the pen addict, mm -hmm. Is a golf pro. Hmm. He he was a professional golfer. Oh, that's right. I remember that now that you mentioned it. And it's yeah, and it's like, wow, that's quite a switch, isn't it? <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit bored with this golf. Now, talk to me about fountain pens. Wow, that's because he doesn't live in Cyprus, where the weather's <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, he lives. Where does he live? He lives in Georgia, a little place called. The Masters? I mean, that's there somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm not a golf uh, fan like you are, Stu, so you'd, you'd know mm. more about that than I do. Uh, I think his area gets stupidly hot. Uh, and Sure, yeah. I, Very humid, I would guess. Yeah, humid as well, which c it can mean to, you know, probably golf is nice in the winter when the rest of us are shoveling our driveways, but I don't know if I want to be out in that, you know, sweat. I can't see anything because the sweat's dripping into my eyes. Can't see the ball. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe I'm a fair weather golfer. You know, I like it. I, I, I like it just right. You know, not too hot, not too cold. Nothing. Wrong I am with that. Uh, Goldilocks. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> All right. So do give me some takeaways. Let's let's uh, end this before we divulge into something that we really shouldn't uh, talk about anymore. <laughs> we'll get a bottle of scotch out. We'll both be crying by the end. Um, Look, I mean, the 
the thought that's very much on my mind, I'm uh, in my early 50s, I'm theoretically retired. Um, there are no pockets in shrouds. So Ooh, that's deep. In, yeah, in trying to plan our finances, um, I don't have children. So there is no legacy issue for me. I want to die broke. <laughs> that is very much my, my aim is to have uh, enjoyed money. I think money is, is nothing but the opportunity to have experiences. And having money in the bank when I go would, would seem a terrible waste to me. Mm. Uh, you can adopt me if you like. I'm I'm happy with um, you know people's uh, cast off money. If you have any left, <laughs> it's fine. I don't mind. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because uh, I'm sorted the other way because I do have my stepdaughter, and sure. there is no way you know when uh, North America has stupid prices for houses and cost of living and all the rest of that, and short of a miracle, um, you know, a, an average child growing up and going through sort of an average career it would be very very difficult to go and save up enough to get a nice house you know you, you might do the uh the apartments to a, a condo to a townhouse and then 20 years from now eventually if you're lucky and work hard and have no life and experiences be able to afford a house but i just can't see it sure. it's it's absolutely crazy. So certainly looking at leaving somewhat of a legacy. Um, well, the current Mrs. T won't let me spend all my money. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, though I do a good job even without her permission, but that's a whole different story. Um, yeah. Pros and cons with identity and work for me. It's, th there are some, you know, I, I, I like to see people, myself included, with passion for work. But can you tie yourself up to that point? I think each person's got to look at where they are. I think work and identity is easier and perhaps not such a bad thing when you're young. But, you know, in this day and age, most people have a side hustle or a side project that does split your identity. So it's, it's a tough one. And it's something that, you know, if you haven't thought about it, ask yourself the question. How do you introduce yourself? And, and that'll give you an idea of where your identity is at at the moment. And based on that, are you comfortable with that as an identity? I think it's a personal decision. Each person must decide. And I have a feeling because Sue and I are both sort of thinking about this. Uh, it will probably be a recurring conversation that we'll have over the coming months as we try to sort of define where, where we are in our lives and, and what we want them to be. So. Therapy online. Cool. <laughs> Two men having their slow motion on uh, midlife crisis. There you go. Oh, God. All right. Um, where can people find you on the interweb, Stu? Uh, best place to find me is at the aforementioned blog, stuartlennon.com. Uh, or you can find me... Sign up to be a member. Uh, you can do that. Uh, you can find me at nerosnotes.co.uk. And you can usually find me railing against the world uh, at Twitter at Stu Lennon. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? You can find me at justintwyfer.com. I don't have a membership program, but I that that has good and bad things to it because I don't post as regularly as Stu. So there you go. Um, but yes, uh, you can find me justintwyfer.com. I'm on Twitter, JJ Twyford. Occasionally, you'll see my really good or really bad Wordle score up there. Uh, you can find both of us, stationaryjacent.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, 
and you want to commiserate with us, um, stationaryjacent at gmail.com. Please feel free to send us an email. We certainly read all of those. If you could take a moment to like and review us on your podcast catcher choice, we really would appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues that you think might have something to gain from listening to us. Maybe you've got some, you know, 50-year-old white men in your lives that are full of privilege and asking themselves these tough questions too. Hey, maybe that's not a bad idea to suggest us to them. Our next topic is going to be on procrastination because, well, I had a bad week and I want to talk about it. Uh, yeah, more therapy for Justin. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, us.